Now let us read from the scriptures and let me ask you to turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and we'll read from verse 35 to the end of the chapter. Mark 10, 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared." And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. Well, with that passage in Mark chapter 10 before us, let me just uh, speak about the, the latter part of that chapter mainly. There, there must have been a tremendous hubbub that day. They're on the outskirts of Jericho, and Mark tells us there that there was a great crowd. So I suppose there would be a, a fair noise, and yet Jesus heard 
one voice. It was the voice of Bartimaeus, who had positioned himself by the roadside so that travelers and pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem might see him there. He couldn't see them, of course, but he could sense when people were passing by and he could call out for alms. A guy has to eat and there's no social security or anything of that kind. All he could do was depend upon the pity and generosity of people who might take pity on him. And amongst all of that hubbub, Jesus heard that voice. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Mark 10, verse 47. And there was something about that voice, something about that call, something that made him stop. So much noise going on, and there may have been much chatter, I suppose, as well, maybe even any much argument and, and discussion about what Jesus was up to and where all this was heading. I, I, I don't mean which direction of the compass he was following, but where things were going to end up. And of course, the answer was very soon on a green hill outside the city wall where the dear Lord was crucified who died to save us all. And of course, that's the thing about this Bartimaeus story here. This was a now or never opportunity. Now or never. He started off possibly knowing not a great deal about Jesus, but by the end of the chapter, there he is, he followed him on the way. Which is a, a contrast, by the way, with the character that I want to speak about in the evening who started off knowing about Christ and the gospel and yet who fell away and he was going in the wrong direction altogether. Now I guess we could all think of crucial moments in life which have affected everything since. If a different course had been chosen then, everything would have been different. You know the, the kind of moment, although sometimes it's only in retrospect, that you see it. I remember once in, in Macduff, where I had ministered for many years, I referred to the opportunity that I had after Divinity College to take a, a, a further year study in Princeton. And I remember saying that if I hadn't made that decision, then the timing of everything would have been different and I might have been the minister of some other church and parish although I was quick to hasten on after saying that uh, before anybody else might make any further comment on that. But it happens, it happens all the time. Important moments when, at the time, you maybe don't even realise how crucial it is, but the decision made then affects everything after. Shakespeare, of course, had a word about it, as he had about most things. There is a tide. You know the lines? There is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune, omitted, all the voyage of life is bound in shallows and in miseries. And you can maybe think back on times like that when decisions that you made were really crucial. If I hadn't done such and such, then my whole life would have been different, either in the sense of being thankful that you did something which had a good effect, or perhaps with regret over something that has cast a shadow over life ever since. There was one old man 
who was celebrating his 100th birthday, and he was asked about the secret of his long life, and he said, well, it was really all down to what he ate and drank. And the questioner said, "Uh, is that all? And he said, well, that and cancelling my voyage on the Titanic. (laughs) So much can hinge on one decision. And it's true in all sorts of areas of life, in the big things, you put in an offer for that house and not that house, you made a date with that person and not another person, or seemingly littler things, but nowhere bigger than this, and your response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that is, of course, the most important thing of all. And the thing is, you never know when a moment may be an hour-never moment. If Bartimaeus had missed that opportunity, or if he had listened to the voices of all those who told him to, you know, quieten down and stop making a fuss, then his chance would have been gone forever. And no one knows when that may be. Of course, the Bible tells us God is patient. His door is ever open. He will always receive those who come sincerely to him. But we never know when that all-important, never-to-be-repeated moment may be. And for many, it may be, as in that uh, quote, that if the tide is taken at its flood, well, it leads on to, not, not to fortune, but to blessing, to salvation. And omitted, all the rest of life is bound in shallows and in miseries. And of course, the wonderful thing is, isn't it, as we gather here in church Sunday by Sunday, the wonderful thing is that the preaching and hearing of the gospel is something that as we hear it, as we hear the call to receive it, is, is something that brings that moment before people all the time. And I think I referred once before uh, here to one of my professors in, uh, in college when I was a student who encouraged preachers to always remember, and this is the way he put it, this day may be crucial, this service decisive for someone now ripe for the vision of Jesus. Realize that although your congregation may be small, every soul is infinitely precious Never forget that Christ himself, according to his promise, is in the midst, making the plainest and most ordinary church building into the house of God and the gate of heaven. Hear his voice saying, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. This day salvation has come to this house. That is the wonderful thing about every time we gather in the worship of God and around his word. Let's think about Bartimaeus then and his now or never opportunity. And the first thing that I would say from the story is Jesus had time for Bartimaeus. Isn't it wonderful that he stopped? Isn't it wonderful that amid all that hubbub and noise, he heard this call for help? And isn't it wonderful that we are assured that Jesus always hears those who call out to him. We might put it this way, if if you'll excuse me being a little bit whimsical for a moment or two, but I I was reflecting on, you know, these modern means of communication and how I guess everybody here has had the experience of phoning up some company and instead of a human answering the phone, 
You get an automated voice that tells you which button to press. I mean, isn't modern technology wonderful? Well, just suppose, and this is, this is my ridiculous thought for a moment, just suppose that God had installed such a system and when you put up a prayer, you got an answer that said, thank you for calling, please select one of the following options. For requests, press one. For thanksgiving, press two. For complaints, press three. For all other inquiries, press four. What if you heard a voice that said, all our other angels are busy just now, but all prayers are important to us, and they will be answered in the order they were received. Please listen to this heavenly music while you, while you wait. Your call is important to us. Well, that's just a lot of whimsical nonsense, of course. But no, the thing is, the Bible assures us that God has time for all who come to him. Be it a blind Bartimaeus, by the roadside outside Jericho, be it a woman by the well or, 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 or the other woman with the, the medical complaint who would just come up and, and just touch the hem of his garment in the crowd, or be it a tax collector in the same city of Jericho who was curious enough to climb a tree to get a good view of Jesus passing by. And we are taught that the same applies even now. In these days when Jesus is not physically present with us, that he will hear the prayers of those who turn and call upon him. In fact, the Bible urges us to do just that, doesn't it? You know the text, Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him turn to the Lord and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Well, so Bartimaeus found as he heard people saying to him, I mean, could it really be true? Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And I can say today, that's still the good news. The same Jesus Christ is still calling people, calling ones who, who will lift up their voice to him. Even if, I mean, they may be voices of faith, calling out for forgiveness, for guidance, for whatever. Or even, we're assured that he would listen if they may be voices of doubt and even skepticism of those who would bring their, their questions and their challenges to him. But whatever it is, he hears. Jesus had time for Bartimaeus, and he has time for you as well. Secondly, Jesus had a question for Bartimaeus. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Now, in a way, that might seem like an unnecessary question, and yet Jesus wanted Bartimaeus to actually say what he wanted. And of course, he came right to the point. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And maybe we can take from that the point that Jesus wants us to be specific about our requests of him too. What do you want me to do for you? Certain things we all need, of course. His forgiving grace and, and so on. Other things may relate to our own particular circumstances. And just as we sometimes say that uh, 
we're not supposed to just pray for others in the way of saying, oh, God bless everybody everywhere. Well, perhaps in our prayers for ourselves too, it's not just, Lord, bless me, but to be particular and specific about the things that we pray for. It may be, you know, help me to deal with my quick temper. I need your help to overcome some temptation that plagues me. I need your patience in dealing with somebody or something. God wants us to be specific. Jesus had a question for Bartimaeus, and he asks it of us as well. Thirdly, and of course centrally to the story, Jesus had a cure for him. That's the whole point. It was one of the many healing miracles that we read of in the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go your way, said Jesus. Your faith has made you well. Now, somebody may offer all manner of psychological explanations about how it happened, but there is no doubt that the Gospels present it as one of those healing miracles performed by one who had power And actually, Mark's gospel, you can trace this from the beginning of Mark's gospel in sequence, really. Power over disease, over nature, over demons, and even over death. And there's this as well, that the Bible tells of a disease even more fearful than blindness. Namely, uh, sin, which is indeed likened to spiritual blindness. In fact, It's very interesting, is it not, to consider the context of the story. Because I'm I'm perfectly sure that we can say that Mark and the other evangelists as well, they didn't just throw the stories together in any order, but they had a particular purpose in the way that things were recorded. And this comes immediately after that incident of James and John coming to ask a favor of Jesus. And actually, Jesus asked the same question of them as he asked of Bartimaeus. You see it in verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? And their stupid request was for the best seats in the kingdom of heaven. And then we're told about the jealousy of the other ten and so on. They were blind, weren't they? They needed to have their eyes opened to what Jesus was about. And perhaps Bartimaeus' story, in fact, not perhaps, I'm sure Bartimaeus' story under the guidance of the Spirit is put precisely there to make that point. Jesus can open blind eyes in more ways than one. And if we take it that way, as a picture of the, somebody who, of the person who realizes his need and is determined to get to Jesus, then that story has indeed important lessons for us. This beggar wasn't going to just hang around and hope that Jesus might notice him. He was determined to get Jesus' help. He saw his chance and he was going to go for it. And in this other sense, isn't that the right way? And isn't that the impression that we ought to be giving to other people? The matters of faith and our relationship to God in heaven through Christ, that such matters are crucial and all important. Because, I mean, so many people think, don't they, that, well, it's, uh, if you're interested in religion, 
okay, but it's just not everybody's cup of tea. But in fact, questions of faith are vitally important. It's the most important question that ever faces us. Blindness, of course, is a terrible thing. The disease of sin is worse because of its long-term and even eternal consequences. For we know it. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what does it say? The wages of sin is death. That's the bottom line. And the right attitude is that which is resolved to come to him for his healing and salvation. He says, if you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. And notice what we read in verse 48 as well. Many, what does it say? Many rebuked him, telling him to be quiet. You're creating a scene, Bartimaeus. Quieten down. And there are plenty of people who would say the same thing today. Cool it. You don't want to get too involved in all that religious stuff. Kind of disdain that was brought to my mind in that old story from a a long time ago about a trader in Africa who came upon a, a particular tribe who had been cannibals who were reading and seeking to follow the Bible. It had been brought to them many years before by a missionary. And this trader thought that he was uh, sophisticatedly superior to all that kind of thing. And he said to these tribes members, you don't want to any of that stuff here. At which the tribal chief, according to the story, went over to a large cooking pot and said to the trader, well, if it wasn't for that stuff, you would be in there. That's a story from long ago, of course. But, but yes, there are always people who will downplay the importance of such matters and even ridicule those who take it seriously. And there are two sides to that in terms of application. One is how terrible a thing would it be to put other people off, to be among those who in any way might hinder somebody else coming to Jesus, either directly, of course, by ridiculing or laughing at those who are earnest and, and saying that, that kind of thing, you know, you don't want to get too serious, you don't want to take it too far, and so on, or more searchingly perhaps by, by living an inconsistent life in which our Sunday profession bears little relation to our daily life so that others would be put off by that differential. You you know what Jesus said about that. If anyone is a cause of stumbling to one of these little ones, it would be better to be cast into the sea with a millstone round his neck. That was a very serious warning about the dreadful thing it is to put somebody else off, to put stumbling blocks in the way of anyone else. And there is nothing that would put others off so much as the inconsistent lives of people who profess to be Christians, but their lives tell a different story. Now, I know what we would say. We would say to other people, well, it's not the, it's not the lives of Christians that you should respond to. It's Jesus himself. I know that. That's true, isn't it? That's what we would say. Look at him himself. 
not the, the imperfect lives of his followers. But it's also true that those who are Christ's have that responsibility toward other people and should be doing their utmost to avoid putting off others. So perhaps we should be asking ourselves from this story, is my life hindering or helping others? Would anyone be put off Christianity by anything that they might see in me or hear from me? And if so, needs to be put right. And the other thing is the application to those who may be seeking. And the whole story says, don't be put off. Don't listen to the voices of verse 48. The voices that rebuke you and tell you to quieten down. I mean, it's true, isn't it? If you were to listen to the voices of many people around us in this ungodly society in which we live, then that you would never come to Jesus at all. Because the whole ethos of our society today is against serious commitment to Jesus Christ. Maybe okay to have a little bit of religion, but watch out, don't take it too far. You know the kind of thing. Many rebuked Bartimaeus, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. But my main point here is that Jesus had a cure for Bartimaeus. Your faith has made you well. And then it simply says, immediately he recovered his sight. James and John in the previous section needed their sight put right. They were blind to what Jesus was after and they needed to get their inward eyes sorted, opened, unblinded. Which we get in, you know, John Newton's famous hymn, I once was blind, but now I see. Can you say that? Is that your story? I once was blind, but now I see. Or there's a, a, a little chorus that says, Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch him and say that we love him. He is the one, the only one, who can open blind eyes. And that's, of course, what is meant by his salvation, to be received by faith, just as he said to Bartimaeus, your faith has made you well. And so his great salvation is received by faith. What, not by being good enough? Not by trying harder? Of course not. The Bible's message is that we will never be good enough. We can never try hard enough. We could never do enough good deeds to get ourselves into God's heaven and that's a message that is actually offensive to fallen human pride because by nature, it's true, isn't it? People like to think that we can build up credit in heaven so that they establish a kind of a right to get in. Listen to this from the famous Scottish preacher Horatius Bonner. He wrote... The idea which many have of religion is that it is a most necessary and becoming thing by means of which they hope in the course of time to work themselves into God's favour and so obtain forgiveness before they die. But this is man's religion, 
not God's. It has no resemblance to that in which God delights and which alone he will accept. The chief feature is a direct contradiction to that which the Bible presents to us. It ends with securing forgiveness, whereas God's religion begins with securing it. That's Bonner's point. That worldly religion, if we can call it such, it ends with securing forgiveness if we're good enough. Christianity begins there. And the Bible is insistent that no, there is no way that anyone will ever work their way into heaven by being good enough. There is only one way, and that's through the perfect man, Jesus Christ. Through what, at that point here, lay just immediately ahead, you'll see the uh, subheading in the next chapter, the triumphal entry, and we know all about the events that followed on as they were moving towards Calvary, where he would stand in for us under God's wrath against sin and take it in himself to save and redeem his people. There is no other way. And that really is the, the gospel message that comes from this passage. Have you come to terms with that? Have you by faith received this great salvation from his hand? Elsewhere, the Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. Just as we might think of it in, in other terms, if, if you were suffering from some illness and then you discover that there's a remedy, whether it's surgery or medication or whatever, what kind of folly would it be to ignore that remedy? And if we lift it so much higher, there's that text of Hebrews saying, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. Interesting word, isn't it? Neglect. That's all that's needed. You don't have to be a rebel. You don't have to be a, an out-and-out out denier of it. You don't have to be fighting against him. Just neglect. That, that's such a terrible thing that so much can be lost so easily. And it's always possible. Could there be somebody, even in this gathering today, for whom it has been dawning on your heart and soul? Now, this really is so. This message of him who, as, as verse 45 there says, came to give his life as a ransom for many and who is seeking yet, in terms of that wonderful verse 49, which can be addressed to us as well, take heart. He is calling you, calling you today to give up trying to earn salvation and in humble faith receive it. Yes, Jesus had a cure for Bartimaeus, and he has a cure and a salvation for us too. Matthew Henry's comment on verse 50 about throwing off his cloak, he cast away everything that might be in danger of throwing him down or might in any way hinder him in coming to Christ. Those who would come to Jesus must cast away the garment of their own sufficiency, must strip themselves of all conceit of that and must free themselves from every weight and the sin that, like long garments, doth most easily beset them. Jesus had time for Bartimaeus. He had a question for him. He had a cure for him. And then finally, Jesus had a task for him. 
Jesus' miracles were never really what you might call throwaway miracles. They carried rather the challenge to continue in the way of faith. I don't mean that he used miracles as a kind of bribery or anything like that, but there was always the challenge to faith. And here we read verse 52, Bartimaeus recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. Now, does that mean on the way to Jerusalem? Or was it on the road of discipleship? Maybe the first. I mean, Bartimaeus probably joined in that crowd that were following Jesus along the way towards chapter 11, towards his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and then all the events that lay ahead. But perhaps it means more, more than that. That from that time, he followed Jesus in a deeper sense. Actually, some people have seen in the fact that Bartimaeus here is named, which he isn't in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, seen in the fact that he is named here an indication that he was known to the Jerusalem church for which Mark apparently was writing his gospel. Whatever be the case about that, Jesus calls for our discipleship to follow him on the way, on the road. And you'll know that the way was a common description for Christian discipleship in the early days. Jesus had time for Bartimaeus and he has time for us as well. Jesus had a question for Bartimaeus and he asks us too what what we want of him. Jesus had a cure for Bartimaeus and he has salvation for all who will put their trust in him. And he had a task for him as he has a task for you and me too. He calls us to discipleship, to commitment, to obedience. He calls us to follow in his way. If other people tried to put Bartimaeus off calling out for Jesus' help in the first place, it's a certainty that they would have tried to put him off following Jesus as well. Just as there are today people who would hinder others from wholeheartedly following Jesus. And that voice is to be ignored. It is to be rejected Jesus calls for our allegiance and discipleship and obedience, whatever the world at large may make of it, to be true to him, to be faithful, and to go his way. So, a now or never moment. What a great day. What a great day for Bartimaeus, this now or never moment. If he had missed his chance that day, well, he might have lived a life of regret ever after. If only I had persisted that day, maybe I could have, it could have made a difference to my whole life. Well, let's make sure that in days to come, we're not left with regrets. If only, if only I had earlier responded to that gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and heeded his voice and followed his way. There's no time like the present as we say, take heart. He is calling you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for all these incidents, these stories that are written down for our guidance, for our good, 
for our instruction. For this particular story of Bartimaeus and the now or never moment that offered itself to him under your providence. And Lord, we give thanks for all that we see in his responding to the message of the Saviour. And we thank you for that wonderful word that says, take heart, rise up, he is calling you, for the assurance that you have the same concern for people today and the same desire that people would turn, repent of all that is wrong and sinful and turn in faith to receive this wonderful Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour, Redeemer and Master. So may it be, O Lord, apply your word, we pray, to our hearts and may there be none here who do, who at any time will live with the regret that we didn't earlier come to that faith in this wonderful Lord Jesus Christ who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Hear us as we pray, O Lord, in his name. Amen.